Amen and amen. Have Pulpit will travel uh, right to your living room. So it is good to be with you. Thank you so much for joining us today for uh, worship on our digital campus. Uh, we're just so excited to get to be able to do this. I want to remind you, just as I reminded you last week, that this is indeed a time of worship. So I want to encourage you, grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible uh, with you, you have time. You're at your house. Surely you have a Bible at your house, so go ahead and go and grab it and get ready to hang out. And I also want to encourage you to do something else today that might encourage people in these days. Uh, if you are a social media person, then I want to encourage you maybe take a picture of your family. Uh, so you can do like a selfie. I think uh, Audra actually just did a selfie. I'm pretty sure I saw that happening. Call out. Yeah, we have people here, y'all. You'll have to apologize. I'm a little nervous. This is the largest crowd that I've preached in front of in three weeks, okay? So uh, you'll just have to bear with me. I have nerves. But take a picture of your family and post it to your social media accounts with the hashtag Crossroad. Uh, that might just encourage people and it's a way for us to stay connected and see that we were all here worshiping together today. Whether you're worshiping live with us now or whether you're hanging out and watching that later, that would be awesome for you to take the time to do that. Well, we are going to find ourselves today in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 9. So I want to encourage you to find your way there, Matthew 9. And we're going to look at a passage that's familiar to many of you if you have a church background, but it might be new to some of you. We're going to talk about about today what I think is one of the most known yet unknown doctrines in the entire church, and that would be the doctrine of grace. It's been said before, in fact, we've said this here at Crossroad, that the greatest 12 distant, 12 inches, the, sorry, let me try that again. Can we edit this? Oh, we can't, it's live. But the greatest distance in the world is the 12 inches from your head to your heart. A lot of us have a very academic understanding, perhaps a religious understanding or a, an informational theological idea of what grace is, but I think that a lot of us have never really experienced and understood the grace of God on a street level. We've never understood how practical and transformational it can be in our lives. What we're gonna see here in Matthew 9 is Jesus painting a very clear picture of his grace, not only by his actions, not only by his words, but rather by the invitation that he extends. And my prayer for us today, wherever you're at, whenever you're watching this, is that we would understand that grace is not something that we learn and we know, but rather it is something that we're called to experience and live. So whether you're on your couch today, if you're exercising and watching this on your device, whatever may be happening, however the Lord may bring this message to you today, my prayer is that people everywhere would be transformed by this incredible, unfathomable, unstoppable, and yes, even as we sang, amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's read this text, Matthew chapter nine, then we'll pray and we will dive in together. So I hope you found your Bible. Uh, I recognize having to watch yourself now that I'm a TV star, that being such a small dainty guy, the size of my Bibles was a little bit ridiculous. Uh, so I decided to get one that's more proportionate. So uh, we're here in Matthew chapter nine, starting in verse nine, the word of God says this, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
But when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray together. Lord, as we open your word, as we study it together, I just want to ask you to do what only you can do, and that's impart your truth to our hearts and souls. God, what a strange situation. Again, I guess I'll say that every week for a while. It feels strange to be preaching in this way to a camera and a handful of friends, yet God, you know who will be listening and who will be hearing. So Lord, uh, I pray that you would uh, let your word speak truth to those that it encounters today. Give us ears to hear, give us a heart and a soul that are ready to soak in your word and let it change us today. Make us a people ready to accept your invitation and to respond to your amazing grace. It's in your name we pray, amen. So here in this passage, we're essentially meeting two different groups of people. That's what we're gonna see as we're working our way through this. And this guy, Matthew, is really representative of that first group. Uh, this group is the group of sinners. In fact, sinners and tax collectors. It's funny that the Bible puts those two together. Just kidding, that, that's not some kind of political statement. What you need to know is that for the Jewish audience Matthew is writing to, when the word tax collector comes up, they're not just thinking about taxes. I hate taxes, am I right? No, the tax collectors were really known sinners and scoundrels. The way this worked is that Rome would collect their taxes and they would actually hire out Jewish people to become tax collectors. So the Jewish tax collectors were essentially considered traitors to their own people. So the way it would work is they would get licensed or whatever to become tax collectors and they would say, you have to collect this much in taxes for Rome and then the perk of this is that then you could collect whatever you wanted to on top of that. So they were known to really gouge people and hurt them and really take as much as they could. It was basically legalized robbery and these folks took advantage of it. So these were known sinners, outcasts of society. And as Jesus walks by, we see this incredible moment. Notice that it wasn't a sit down conversation. Jesus didn't pull up a chair at the tax booth and say, hey, let's chat for a few minutes. He didn't preach a sermon. There wasn't an invitation where he called people to come down to the altar. No, instead, he simply says two words, follow me. A simple invitation and Matthew, in the middle of his mess, literally at the tax table with money everywhere, accepts the invitation. So he follows Jesus and they go to a house and they sit down to share a meal together. And at this meal are Matthew's comrades and friends. Guess what? The outcasts tend to have to hang out with other outcasts, those who were neglected and ostracized by their community. So here's Jesus having a special meal with the outcasts and the forgotten, the sinners of the world. There's something special about sharing a meal with someone, isn't it? In fact, in these days, haven't we even become more aware of how special that is since we don't really get that opportunity in these days? Our staff was just hanging out today, drinking a cup of coffee, and we didn't really talk a lot. We didn't really get too deep into each other's lives, but it was just nice to sit together and drink a cup of coffee. So we're aware of this in a pretty unique way in our days. To let someone into your home is to let them in close. But in Jewish culture, you need to understand that it's another level of intimacy to invite someone into your home, to recline at your table, to bring people to your table, to bring guests in, was literally to invite them to share in your life and to share in your heart. 
And this is what Jesus is doing. Again, I wanna note, he's not preaching a sermon. He's not doing a Bible study. He's simply inviting them to come share in his life, to open their hearts for him. This is a beautiful and stirring picture that we need to see today. And this is where we have to stop and talk for a minute because some of you good church people right now are like, yes and amen, just as Christ did. We should open up our homes to the poor and the needy and the ostracized and those who are neglected. And let me just say, yes and amen. Our mission statement literally has the word reach in it. We want to reach people. We want to reach those who are on the, uh, the outskirts of society. We want to reach those who have been neglected and forgotten by our world today. That is part of our mission. But what you need to understand is a truth that I think will absolutely transform your life if you'll let it today. And that truth is this, that there is no us and them. There is no us and them. You and I are the tax collectors. You and I are the sinners. And this is a glorious invitation for you and I to come and share in the life of Christ, to come share our lives with him, See, this story isn't about comparing and contrasting the ministry styles of Jesus and the Pharisees. Instead, Jesus is lovingly calling out to all who are weary, to all who are broken, to all who are tired and burnt out, to all who are tired of trying to perform and earn their own righteousness, to all who are sick, to all of the sinners who need him. And church, that's all of us everyone, including the religious people. So as we look at this text, we don't see two groups of people who are defined by their levels of righteousness, defined by how good they are. Instead, we see two groups of people who are defined by their ability to accept the invitation of grace, to accept the invitation of Jesus. These sinners, these tax collectors, those who were not well and were pretty much okay with admitting that they weren't well, are fellowshipping with Jesus. And yet we have these Pharisees who refuse to accept the invitation. They're outside grumbling. They're saying, who the heck is this guy? Does he even know who he's eating a meal with? This is the worst of the worst. How dare he do that? He's hanging out with people who are not righteous. This is the who's who of sinners. And Jesus hears this conversation happening and in verse 12, he utters this incredible, incredible phrase. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Now don't get this twisted. Jesus isn't saying that the Pharisees were well, but rather he's making a point that Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus came for the sick. And if you want to know Jesus, if you want to come into the kingdom of God in order to accept the invitation of Jesus, if you want to know him, it starts today with knowing that you are the sick. That knowing you are the sinner. That knowing you are the one who is far from God apart from Jesus Christ. Yet the Pharisees were too self-righteous to see their need for Jesus. 
They didn't need Jesus. They felt like their commandment keeping and their good works were enough. But Jesus from the very beginning of his ministry is lovingly challenging the Pharisees and working to expose their hearts. I think it's really easy for us just to act like Jesus is running around the gospels dunking on the Pharisees and Sadducees all the time. But I've said this before to you Crossroad, we don't think that's what's happening, but rather we know Jesus loved them as well and desired that they would repent, that they would turn to him, that they would recognize their great need for him because he loved them and he knew that the only way to get well is to go to the doctor and you won't go to the doctor if you don't realize you're sick this is really difficult it was difficult for them and I think it's difficult for us today if we're honest there's this false gospel that I like to call the good people gospel and here's the interesting thing I've been able to live in different parts of the country, somewhat limited. It's not like I've been uh, everywhere or anything like that, but I've lived in rural areas, in urban areas, and in between in my life. And here's what I've realized in living in Midwest now, used to be in the South and all that. The definition of good people is a moving target. What somebody says is a good person, this group over here thinks they're a terrible, awful person. And what this group of people says is a good person, this group over here says they're terrible and awful people. Don't you see this? It's a moving target. And here's what I've realized even in my own life. No matter how messed up I am, I always feel like I'm a good person. Don't you feel the same way about yourself? You realize that it's a moving target even for us. Well, I know that I'm a good person even though I've done this bad thing or that bad thing. The reason that the false gospel, the good people gospel doesn't work is because it's always a moving target and we will never be able to get there. But the problem is all of our churches are very much so teaching a good people gospel. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, this happens. There are aisles of self-help books, how to be a better Christian, how to be a better church, how to be a godly wife, a godly husband, a godly parent, a godly friend, a godly boss, a godly this and that. And we preach messages that are geared toward building up strong Christians. But I'm afraid at the end of the day, we're not really preaching Christianity. We're preaching a gospel of you. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a gospel of do better. It's not a gospel of you can do this. Rather, it's a gospel of you are sick, you are broken, and you are lost, but we have a loving Savior who says, come and fellowship with me. Follow me. What would happen today if we were to abandon the gospel of good people? What if we quit pretending? What if we stop pretending to be okay today? If we stopped acting like the church is a trophy room for the righteous people and instead understood that we are a hospital for sinners. If we understood that when we come together as the people of God, we can be real. That it's okay to not be okay. We can come into this place sharing our struggles. What if we took the grace of God seriously? What if we got up from our tables in the middle of our mess and joined Jesus at his table? This is tough for us today, isn't it? Our religiosity, our self-righteousness, our churchiness sometimes can rob us of the only real cure for our sin. 
Now, don't get me wrong, I think that honestly we're pretty good at acknowledging our sin, especially in a church like ours that values the word of God so highly. We're quick to identify sin. We know that we're all sinners, like most of you have probably been like, yes, amen, pastor, preach it. And we're all acknowledging this, but this is where I think we kind of get off the rails a little bit. The Pharisees were just like us. They recognized that they struggled, that they were not good people. They were in fact bad people and needed to change. So here's what they did. They said, let's do this. Let's add these laws. Let's make this, let's, let's make this program. Let's make this happen. Let's get a new discipleship program. Let's buy a new book. Let's change this behavior and that behavior. Let's start going to church more. Let's do more of this and less of that. Let's get to work transforming ourselves but I don't know if you've ever tried to do that. The reality is when we do it, it's like Jesus said in another conversation with the Pharisees, it's like whitewashing a tomb. It's like putting flowers all over a grave. It might look pretty, but it's still dead. There's so many people who I think are just putting more and more layers of self-righteousness over their untransformed hearts. And over the years we get so hardened and we say, yes, we're all sinners, so you need to do like me and dress up and cover it up. And when others is not, are not as covered up as we are, we start to judge each other and we start to critique each other. We compare our makeup to everybody else's and we say, my mask looks a whole lot better than your mask. But at the end of the day, when we live like that, nobody has changed. Church, this is where the good news of the gospel comes in. Jesus invites us to a way of life that is so much better than that. Verse 13 is an absolute game changer. Jesus says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That line has messed me up all week. And not just the quote itself, but the way Jesus sets it up. Remember who he's talking to, y'all. This is a group of Old Testament scholars. The Pharisees knew the Old Testament. They knew probably when he uttered that phrase, they're like, yeah, Hosea 6, 6, we got you, bro. They knew the content. They knew the information. They probably had written an essay in seminary about what it meant uh, to obey rather than sacrifice. They, they had all these things that God prefers mercy over sacrifice. They had all of that down. Jesus wasn't saying, hey guys, go hit the books. Maybe you ought to think about that and learn. No, here's what he's saying. He's saying that grace and mercy are not things that we are to learn, but rather these are things that are meant to be experienced and lived in. You don't learn mercy and grace. You don't earn mercy and grace. Grace is not bought, earned, or worked for. You cannot sacrifice your way into God's grace. Instead, the call today is to simply accept the invitation. Church, do you see this picture? Zoom out a little bit with me from this text. Jesus is eating a meal. He's sitting at the table with a group of people who were desperate for him, who had no other options, who knew that they could never do enough good religious things to make up for their past lives. They knew that all they could do was come to Jesus. And they are there seated at the table, fellowshipping with him, all because they accepted the invitation. And then we have this group of people that are outside who are saying those people in there are not doing enough. Those sinners need to be changed and Jesus is just hanging out with them. And Jesus says, oh, if you would just accept my invitation, 
that you would just come and sit down, if you would just experience my grace, if you would just come and dine with me, I promise you, Jesus was longing for one of those Pharisees to be like, this is dumb, I'm going inside. It looks like those guys are having a good time. I'm gonna go sit down with Jesus. The question that you and I have to answer this morning is this, which group do you belong to today? Have you accepted the invitation? Are you aware of your sickness today? Are you aware of your need for Christ? Or have you grown content in your whitewashed tomb? I'm not sure where you're at today, but I think a lot of us are probably like Matthew. We're just sitting in the middle of our lives. I love the, the idea that he was at his table, probably the money that he had stolen is laying all around the place. And as he's there and as this is happening, table full of stuff, Jesus says, come, follow me. A lot of you are like that today. You're sitting at your table, it's full of stuff. You have financial struggles, you have work issues, you have family issues. And don't even get me started on my spiritual issues. We struggle to be content. We struggle to understand grace. We tend to find our value in all of the wrong things. Your table is probably loaded down just like mine is. But here's the thing. I think I'm pretty good at hiding what the junk on my table. But I might as well be Matthew sitting there in my mess for the whole world to see. And when Jesus walks up, he sees it. And I think that what you do is probably similar to what I do. I've shared this uh, analogy before, but uh, if you were to say, hey, you know what? Social distancing has become too much for me. Uh, I'm coming to your house, Pastor Rusty. I'll be there in 10 minutes. Trust me, my house looks like three toddlers live in it. Uh, but if you give my wife 10 minutes, she is so gifted, y'all. She will in 10 minutes turn our house from a disaster into a Southern living slash better homes and garden photo shoot in like 10 minutes. It's an incredible ability. But I think what happens in my life is that when Jesus calls me, I'm like, okay, Lord, well, let, give me 10 minutes, right? Let me clean up my mess. Let me take care of all these things and all these struggles in my life. But what Jesus is saying to us today is that you will never be able to clean up your mess, but he comes to you and me right in the middle of our mess. And he says, I love you. Follow me. Follow me. And it's in this moment that you and I are faced with a decision, a life-changing decision. Will we accept his grace? Will we join him at his table? Will we feast on his love, his mercy, and his grace? Or will we put on another mask and keep going? One of these leads to a life transformation, but the other one leads to us being on the outside, judging lonely and broken. Church, Jesus loves you today. And the invitation of his amazing grace has been extended to us. Some of you are probably like me in these days. I know for me, not being able to do work in the traditional sense, a lot of the ways that I find my value, a lot of the ways that I feel worthy and accepted and loved and validated are just taken off the table for a few weeks. And if some of you are probably going through that and it's difficult for you right now, just like it is for me, but can I just tell you something that God's doing in my life? He's reminding me that even now, he loves me and he's here with me. Friends, that's amazing grace.
Jesus doesn't want to hang out with me because I'm a pastor and because I preach to a few hundred people on Sundays and because I'm doing all the cool pastorly things. Jesus loves me for no other reason other than the fact he loves me. His amazing grace is why he loves you today. My prayer is that you would experience that love. Some of you maybe as I've preached this message have felt convicted. You feel like you're the religious person and you almost feel attacked. Can I just tell you something today? The good news of the gospel is this. This message is for you. Jesus invites you to to put down your defense, to put down your mask and come sit at the table and fellowship with him. That's amazing grace. Let's walk in that grace in these days. Lord Jesus, we're thankful for this opportunity to worship today. Lord, I pray that you would help us to know and experience your grace in a real and tangible way. God, I pray that everybody who's been under the sound of my voice today and in the days ahead will be changed by what you're doing. Lord, we love you and we thank you for being a great God. 